How's everybody doing? Everybody good? All right. We're in, we're in Genesis 9, if you've got your Bible. So if you got those, please grab those and get those out. Uh, how many of you remember your first job? Right? So my first job, job, like job where I got in the car and drove away from home and went somewhere was working in a movie theater as an usher. Anybody? Okay. A couple of you. It was an interesting job. Uh, it was fun because we got to get away from the country and go into town. So I worked at a theater and, uh, I remember this one particular Friday, you know, it's Friday at seven o'clock, you know, it's the Midwest, it's the country. So it's a big deal. It's going to be full. Part of my job as an usher was to go into the theater, make sure it was ready to go. I go in there and there's a guy in there and he's laying, he's laying across three chairs, <clears throat> three seats. And I lean in, I'm like, Hey dude, you gotta have to get up here, right? One ticket, one seat. Guy just sort of grunts, doesn't really say anything. I'm leaned, I lean down and I like sort of push him. I'm like, hey, dude, listen, you're going to have to get up. We got a bunch of people coming in for the show. And he just sort of grunts and doesn't say anything. And I'm like, man, I'm going to get the manager if you don't get up. Sure enough, I went and got the manager. The manager came back. Same thing. Guy wouldn't budge, just sort of grunted and groaned, didn't really say anything. Finally, the manager's like, listen, I'm going to go call the police if we can't get you up. Sure enough, he goes, calls police, police show up. Sort of the same thing. He's, he's, he just, he just grunts. Can't hardly speak. And finally, one of the officers looks at me and says, listen, can you lean in there and ask him where he's from? And so I lean in and I'm like, dude, listen, where are you from? And he looks at me and he goes, the balcony. <laughs> listen. At this point in time, I'll take groans all day long. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. I'm good with that, right? I'm good with that. Hey, let's recap real quick. We're about to finish, we're about to finish four chapters on Noah. So let's recap. If, if, if you're new to, to church and scripture, listen, we're so glad you're here, whether you're in the land online or here in Norman. But if you, if you know scripture, you know that from the beginning, at some point in time after God created, right, all these things, including the angels, one particular angel, according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, Lucifer, right, who we know as the devil, Satan, right, decided he wanted some of what God had. He wanted to be treated the same. He wanted to be honored the same. Said so much that I want my, my throne to be higher than the heavens. And that didn't go over well because with God, there's how many gods? There's just one. And so Satan's role is terminated and Satan somehow influences a third of the angels of heaven to follow him in that coup attempt. And fast forward to Genesis 1, where God creates all things on earth, including mankind. And when it's done, he says it's all good. And the garden is full with Adam and Eve. And God says, here's the thing. All this is for you. Go. Have fun. Enjoy it. Right? Eat of the trees. Right? Enjoy it. Be fruitful. Listen, go out, have fun, be fruitful, multiply, enjoy everything, do it naked, and do it with no shame. Woo! Let's go, right? I mean, it's a great situation, right? For Adam and Eve. The only thing he says to them is, there's just one tree. There's just one tree. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. And of course, they ate it. Right? To the temptation of, of, 
of Eve and through Eve's temptation of Adam, we get God showing up going, what happened? It was all good. It was all very good. And I had all this for you and you chose to do this. What gives? And Adam goes, it's her fault, right? Seems normal, right? And when God gets to Eve, Eve says, it's his fault and points to the devil. And in Genesis 3.15, we we read these words, words that we've spoken of often here, right? Words that set the stage for the rest of what's contained in Scripture. God says to the the devil, I'm going to put enmity, right? A fight, friction, a fight between you, Satan, and between this woman, Eve, and between your offspring and between hers. He, now all of a sudden, the offspring is one. He's a male, right? Singular male in the Hebrew. He will crush your head, meaning he will destroy you and you will strike his heel. God says, finally, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm in agreement. Let's fight. Let's have an all out war for who's God. And God says, I'm so confident that right now in this moment, I'm declaring victory. And from that moment, where the first prophetic words are you know, uttered about the gospel, we see that story played out in scripture. And the reason I want to remind you of this is because as we fast forward to Genesis 6, Satan has one job. His job is to make sure that that boy that God promises in Genesis 3.15 doesn't get born. Because if that boy doesn't get born, Satan's not going to have his head crushed. Does everybody understand that? Yes, church? That's the goal. He, God said, will crush your head. That seed of that woman will crush your head. And all Satan wants is for that seed to never show. Fast forward to Genesis 6. And listen to what scripture says. Right? The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil. How often? All the time. Every person. Every person. He goes on to say, the Lord's grieved that he made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Remember, Satan just wants this boy to not be born. Because if this boy isn't born, then God doesn't keep his promise. And if God doesn't keep his promise, he's a liar. And if he's a liar, he's probably not what? He's probably not God. Look what it says. The Lord said, I'm going to wipe mankind out. Whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move on the ground, birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Leave that right there. Do you understand what's happening? Satan has so corrupted the world. Satan has so corrupted the world that by Genesis 6, God says, I'm going to kill how many people? All of them. And if God wipes out all of them, what happens to his promise? It's over. How can you produce a seed, a male heir from a group of people that don't exist anymore? You can't. And all of a sudden, God's big pronouncement doesn't come true. Listen, as I look across this room and picture those on the other side of the camera and to land and online, how many of you have ever overpromised and underdelivered? Listen, if you're married, just say, I have, right? <laughs> you have, right? Listen, we at times can get away with overpromising and underdelivering. If you're God, do you know how many times you can overpromise and underdeliver? 
zero. And here we are. God's promise is to wipe out Satan with the seed of the woman. And in Genesis 6, it says God's going to kill them all. That's how close Satan came to winning. And listen to Genesis 6, 8. Some of the greatest words in all of scripture. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Let's be clear. How many men did it take in this moment for God to keep his promise alive? Just one. So maybe you're in here this morning or maybe you're online or in the land. And maybe you think your, your life doesn't mount to much. It doesn't matter. What a silly, silly thought. All God had to do was find one faithful person to keep that promise alive. Everybody else had failed. Everybody else had been corrupted. And all God needed was one individual. That's how important your life is. That's how much it matters in God's economy that it only takes one. It just takes one. And as we're going to find out, listen, Noah, before the flood, did all that God commanded. After the flood, he had some flaws that scripture exposes. And now you move forward to Genesis chapter 9 and God keeps his promise. He wipes them all out. Except for eight people, everything on the planet dies. And now God says, okay, Noah, get out of the boat and you guys start over. You guys get out there and start over. It's a new beginning. But here's the thing about this new beginning. There are some things that are different now than they were from Adam and Eve. And in Genesis chapter 9, I just want to point out three of these things that are different and how that applies to me and you. Here's the first one. There's a new companion. So when Adam and Eve were cruising in the garden naked and unashamed, right, they were doing well until they ate of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then God kicks them out, right? And Scripture tells us that all of a sudden, the new companion that you and I have, Mike, you can skip Genesis 9, let's go to Genesis 3, right? This new companion that we have is this, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Everybody, everybody read this. How are they like us? What? Good. Knowing good and evil. You see, when God said to Adam and Eve, listen, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, there was no evil. There wasn't even the knowledge of evil for Adam and Eve. Didn't exist. And now, God says to Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Here's the problem. There's a new companion. Listen, we moved here 13 years ago. I was 43, 46, 45, 46 years old. Just pick a number. It doesn't matter, right? And listen, one of the big adjustments, as opposed to just leaving Illinois and coming to Florida, one of the big adjustments was at 45 years of age, I had to make new friends. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to make new friends? Especially when you're old and cantankerous and you've, and you've grown to not like people. It's tough, right? It was a, it was a difficult, listen, it was a difficult thing to figure out how to, how to enjoy my life with new companions, new people. Listen, God gives Noah the same directive he, give, he gave Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Here's the difference. The difference is the knowledge of good and evil. And we saw what the knowledge of good and evil did, didn't we? By the time Genesis 6 rolls around, the knowledge of good and evil was so prevalent. How many people did God want to kill? All of them. Every single one of them. Why? Because listen to what Galatians 5 says. Paul says this, right? Listen. I said this before, I'll say it again. 
you and I were never, ever supposed to possess the knowledge of good and evil. God never intended that for be, to be the way for humans. That's a God quality, knowing good and evil. And only God, who's capable of knowing good and evil and never doing evil, was never, ever supposed to be our gift. But somehow we got it. And that curse has been passed on from generation to generation. And look what the curse does to you and me. Paul says this, the acts of the sinful nature. Because here's the truth for you online, you in the land, and every one of us in Ormond. Every one of us has known the good to do and not done it. And every one of us has known evil at times, and we've chosen to do it anyway. Can you, get, can you just say yes? That's the truth for all of us. And here's the thing, the minute you experience one of those two choices, your sinful nature is born. Your flesh now knows what it's like to act in accordance with good and evil. And here's what happens. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and that doesn't even cover it all. You see, here's the thing about the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they didn't have that knowledge when God said that. Noah and his family, they're riddled with the knowledge of good and evil. They lived in a space where evil was prevalent with every person all the time. And all these things were present. And the thing about it is, all those things are present for you too. Because every one of you in here, online, in the land, all of us possess the knowledge of good and evil. And my question is, how are you doing with your new companion? What's your life look like because you know good and evil? You see, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He says, do you not know? Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, wherever you're listening, wherever you're sitting, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is what Paul says you can expect as a result of the knowledge of good and evil in your life. Don't you know that the wicked won't inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, he says, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, idolaters, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, right? Thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, swindlers are going to inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the reality is the knowledge of good and evil puts every one of us in the exact same spot. And that is, we all choose to ignore good and do evil at least once in our life. And the minute we do, we awaken a nature that is now desirous of all those things. So how are you doing today? How are you doing today with the knowledge of good and evil in your life? How's your walk? How's your walk going in regard to having something that you and I were never supposed to possess. You see, in Noah's reality, that's a new companion. For those of us here online in the land, we've had this knowledge since birth. For some of us, it took about two months to practice it. For some of us, it took several years for us to lean into that. But my guess is every person in here, every person online in the land has become well versed in this new companion. So how are you doing with it? And that's an important question because here's, here's the next thing that happens in Genesis, the next change, and that is there's a new covenant. 
There's a new covenant with this new companion. And let's be clear, this new covenant is needed, right? Let's read Genesis 9, 8, a few verses. Listen to what God says. He said, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, he said, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. This is a new covenant. Everybody's gone. It's just these eight people. So God says, I'm going to establish my covenant, which is a new covenant with you, with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that's with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, he says, and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature. Listen to the covenant. I established my covenant with you never again. Everybody say never again. Again, a promise of God, and he can't afford to overpromise and undeliver. Because if he does it one time, one time, his character is different. It's completely changed. He said, never again will all life be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant. I am making between me and you and every living creature right with you. A covenant for all generations to come. And he says, I have set my what? My rainbow in the clouds. Let's be clear. Why did God have to make a covenant with Noah that I'll never wipe you out with flood again? Because guess what? Every person that walked off that boat possessed the knowledge of good and evil. Which meant all eight of those people were eventually going to participate in what? Sin. Evil. And they saw what God did the last time people participated in evil. He wiped every single one of them out. I don't know about you, but growing up in the Midwest, I lived through some tornadoes. Anybody else? Horrifying experience. Right? And I mean, if you go through that and you find yourself in a cellar or hiding in a tub with a mattress over you while your trailer rocks back and forth, the minute the storm comes the next time, you've got a little bit of a trigger warning there. Can you imagine what Noah and his family felt like the first time the clouds darkened and the thunder rolled and the lightning cracked? They had just experienced 40 days of flood. Imagine what they felt like the next time it rained. Right? And why did God do it? Because he doesn't like evil. And he has the same feeling about evildoers. Listen to what scripture says. This verse might be new to some of you. Right? The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked and those who love violence. God's soul what? See we've heard the phrase. Some of you said this phrase. Right? God hates the sin. But loves the sinner. Anybody? Yeah, we say that. Sounds good, doesn't it? Such a good church statement, right? Listen, this, this is what Psalm has said in Psalm eleven five: The wicked and those who love violence, God's soul, what? Hates. How about this verse, right? Psalm 5, 4 and verse 5 says, You're not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. Listen to this. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. Everybody, everybody read this with me. You hate all. You hate all who do wrong. You see, we get the mistaken idea that God only hates the sin, but he doesn't hate the sinner. Just think for a second. How many people did God wipe out with the flood? All of them. Did he wipe out the sin? No. But did he wipe out the sinner? Yeah. You see, we want God to be... Listen. Is God love? Church, yes or no? Of course he is. Bible says God is love. 
right? If you've got children or people that you care about, do you love them? Yes or no? How quickly can your love turn to hate for something that wants to come after the thing that you love? Doesn't take very long, does it? That's why the Bible warns us against seeking vengeance. Why? Because God knew that those of us who loved other people, if harm would come to them, we would immediately turn our love for this individual and hate toward that person. Listen, I love my grandson, Owen Cooper. And I can tell you this, and I said this to my wife the other day, anybody, anybody, anybody raises a finger at that boy, they're going to have a problem to deal with. That's how much I love him. Man, my love for him will turn to hate to something else pretty quickly if something would harm him. Everybody in here who has children or grandchildren gets that. Can I get a yes? We all know that. Listen, to be clear. God has to hate the sinner. And that word isn't the word that we use like, oh, it's all emotion and fire-breathing dragons. Hate in the Hebrew as in the Greek means order. There is an order that matters. God is holy. He is just. And here's the thing, when you sin, God has to put you in second place. He has to, quote, hate you. God killed everybody because of the knowledge of good and evil and how it lived out in these people's lives. You and I possess the knowledge of good and evil. How are you doing with that? How is your life characterized with your possession of this quality that only God was to have? Here's what I know. God hates the sinner. As much as he hates the sin because he's just and that justice requires a punishment. And God said, I promise you, Noah, I will never again act in my hatred toward the sin and the sinner by the flood. And I promise it. And I'll give you a rainbow to remind me and to calm your fear. I will never do it. Let's be clear. The rainbow belongs to us. The rainbow could be hijacked by a community of people that, that say it means something else. Scripture tells us what it means. It means God keeps his promise. Amen, church? That's what the rainbow means. Why? Because God in his justice wants to wipe out sin. Meaning, he wants to wipe out you and me and our children and our grandchildren. Why? Because we're all sinners. That's what God wants. And here's the thing about this covenant. It reminds us that God is a God of mercy. Of mercy. I mean, listen, the, God's already shown. Listen, listen, we've made God so so human. I, I don't know what. And, and Listen, I get people struggle with this. And if you struggle with this with God, that's okay. You work this thing out with God. It's not going to be our job to try to convince you. Listen, God does things that make no sense to you and make no sense to me. But here's the way God responded. He wiped them all out. That's harsh, isn't it? That's really, really harsh, especially in our world today where we take everything and we're so sensitive about even the slightest remark. Do you know that they are now saying that you should never use the word trigger warning because the word itself is a trigger warning to people? I mean, that's how sensitive, oversensitive and soft our society has gotten. And yet we have a God who's so holy, so righteous, and so pure that when he had had enough of sin and sinners, he wiped them off the face of the earth. And when these eight people walked out of the boat, he said, I promise I'll never do that again. And here's my rainbow so that I will be reminded and you can have some peace. 
That tells me that God's a God of mercy. Listen to what scripture says in Isaiah 30. The Bible says the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you mercy for the Lord is a God of justice. Listen, God's justice demands a verdict. If, if there are sinners in this space and sinners online and sinners in the land, then God's justice demands action. And the only things that keeps justice away is God's mercy. Blessed are all who wait for him. How about this one? Scripture says in Luke, be merciful just as your father is what? He's merciful. Deuteronomy 4, Moses says, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. Ephesians 2, 4, Paul says it this way, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy saved us. And then a verse that God used to redeem my life when I was Handling the knowledge of good and evil poorly and walking away from him. God showed me this verse. A Bible college graduate who had never heard it apparently. And it says, because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his mercies never fail. They are new how often? Every morning. Every morning. You see, you and I, just like Noah, we need a God who is merciful to us. Because the knowledge of good and evil in every one of us looks a little bit different. But we can all agree on this. The knowledge of good and evil produces people who ignore good sometimes and choose evil sometimes. Would you agree with that, church? Which means we need a God who's merciful. We need a covenant God who will keep that covenant even when we fail. And that's what God promises Noah. Now, how does this all tie in together? Here's the last thing. There's a new curse. Now, listen, this isn't the space to get into this. If you read your Bible, right, we don't know what happened in this tent. But if you read the story there in Genesis 9, right, eventually Noah, who was a carpenter building a boat, becomes a person who works the ground and he builds a vineyard. Now, I don't know how long it takes to build the vineyard and how long it takes to get grapes. But eventually that vineyard produces something. And the Bible says that Noah made wine and got drunk. And like most people who get drunk, he got hot. And when he got hot, he got naked. And he fell asleep in his tent. Now, this isn't the space to get into what happened in that tent. Let's just say this. What happened in that tent obviously wasn't right. Because the Bible says that when Ham, his son, saw his father's nakedness, he came out, reported it to his brothers. His brothers, right, went in and they walked backwards with the blanket, dropped it over their naked father and walked out. And when Noah awoke and found out what had happened, he cursed Ham and his son, Ham's son, Canaan. He laid a curse on him. And here's what he said to Canaan, the, the son of Ham, Noah's son. So Noah's grandson is cursed, and this is what he said. You will be a servant to Shem. Now, if you go back and look at genealogy, you'll find out that the Semites, right? That the Jewish people descended from Shem. Here's what I want you to know. That even though there's a new companion, and we all possess this companion. And even though there's a new covenant, and we all need a God of mercy. All of this reminds us of this new curse. And all the new curse does is remind us this. It's a new beginning, but it's the same fight. Listen, let me ask you a question. What did Satan want to be? He wanted to be what? Do you think he still wants to be God after the flood? Yes or no? Of course he does. He got so close the first time, he's going to double down now. He's going to go after this harder than ever. He almost got it the first time. He'll get it the second time. 
And so he's doubling down on that. He wants this so bad. It's all he cares about. And you know who he doesn't care about? Satan didn't care about you and me. He didn't care about any of us. Listen, you got the knowledge of good and evil. Listen, if you want a little porn, if you want a little alcohol, if you want a little something on the side, if you want to do worse, if you want some sins that are secret from everybody in the world, fine. Whatever you want, we'll give you. Satan cares so little about us, he'll just give us whatever we want. Why? Because God, Satan only cares about becoming God and he needs to use me and you to get it. And all we're reminded of in this curse, when God says to Ham and to Canaan, servants, of Shem, you shall be, simply reminds us God's at work in his plan. Because the descendants of Canaan were the Canaanites. And listen to what Exodus 23 says. Exodus 23 says, if you listen carefully to what he says and, and do all that I say, right? I'll be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you. This is God speaking to Moses and bring you into the land. Listen to where God's going to bring the Israelites, right? The descendants of Shem into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the who? The Canaanites. He says, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And God says, I will what? Wipe them out. Why? Because God had made a promise to Abraham. That's your land. You need to move the people of Israel into that land. And guess who possessed that land? The descendants of Ham. The Canaanites. The people that God cursed to be his servants. And all that tells me is, from the very beginning, when God made this promise to defeat Satan, he's still working his plan. And you know what? He's still working that same plan for me and you. God is busy working his plan. Listen to these scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1. This so you know. Listen. Ephesians chapter 1. Down there at the bottom. There you go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Listen to this. For he chose us. Chose me and you. People who know the knowledge of good and evil. People who need a God of mercy. Right? People who now have this curse on us because of our participation. He says he chose us in Jesus, everybody, before the creation of the world. Listen, God's been working this plan before he ever said, let there be light. This has always been God's plan. To redeem his creation through Jesus Christ. And then First Peter chapter 1, Peter says it this way. For you know, it wasn't with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, right, from this empty way of life. Let's be clear that the knowledge of good and evil only produces one way of life, and that's empty. And people today are realizing that sooner than ever before. Why are people taking their lives so quickly? Why are people becoming more addicted? Why are people going from relationship to relationship? Here's why. Because what Satan offers in the knowledge of good and evil is an empty way of life. Now listen, some of you online, some of you in the land, some of you here, you might be going, you know what? That's not been my experience. I've been participating in this knowledge of good and evil thing. And you know what? It's been pretty fun. Different girl every other weekend. I got all the money I need. I got nice shiny cars. Here's the thing though. It only lasts for a season. It only lasts for a season. And Peter says, listen, God didn't buy you back from that with something so simple as money. He says, he didn't do that, right? He didn't do that to get you away from this empty life handed down to you from your forefathers. Thank you, Adam and Eve, right? He says this, here's how God redeemed you. He redeemed you with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was Jesus was chosen when? 
before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for whose sake? Your sake. And who are we? We are people who know good and evil. We are people just like Noah. People who have this knowledge to do good. And we sometimes ignore it. And to never do evil. And sometimes, and sometimes we do it. And guess what? That requires a God who does not act in his justice toward us. We need a merciful God. We have one. And we've got a God who's always working his plan. And you know what his plan is? It's for every one of you in here, every one of you online, and every one of you in the land to know one thing. To know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that's what this is all about. Whether it's about you knowing it or about you and I telling other people about it. That's what this thing is all about. And so if you need Jesus this morning, if you're here in Ormond, come up to the front. We'll have a group of people up here to talk with you. If you're in Deland, go up front and see Pastor Ryan. And if you're online, push that button. It says, I have decided. When you do, it'll take you to a link. Just fill that form out. And Pastor John and his team will be with you. But listen, that's what this thing is all about. At the end of the day, you and Noah and me and Noah, we're not a lot different. We have the same companion. We need the same God who gives us a covenant. Because there is this curse on us. And thankfully God has been working his plan from the very beginning to redeem us through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for for redeeming us. For saving us. For being a God who makes a plan and keeps a plan. A God who we can trust. A God who's who's always been making a way. And Father, for those of us that think there's no hope. For those of us that have come to the realization of the power of this knowledge of good and evil. Father, I pray that you would show us that we have a God who's merciful and a God who's provided a covenant for us, a new covenant, one created by Jesus to remove this curse from us. So, Father, today I pray for the work of your spirit and the hearts and the minds of each person that hears you. I pray, Father, for those who hear you to respond, to surrender, to confess and repent. And to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we pray in his name. Amen.